Hello and welcome to the TechDirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. As you will likely recall, last week we played an excerpt from the audiobook of Cory Doctorow's novel, Red Team Blues, with the promise that this week we'd be playing a discussion with him about the book. Uh, turns out that's not exactly true. Uh, Corey and I did record this discussion, and to be honest, it's one of the most fun and thought-provoking discussions I've had in quite some time, so uh, definitely look out for that. However, we pushed it back uh, by a week because late last week I also was a guest on the neoliberal podcast with Jeremiah Johnson talking about all of the, uh, well, chaos in the social media world with Elon Musk doing whatever it is that Elon Musk is doing with Twitter, Meta introducing threads, Reddit doing its best Twitter impersonation, and a whole bunch of other things along those lines. And since that world is constantly changing, we figured that it made more sense to rush out that discussion this week and hold off on the discussion with Corey uh, until next week. Uh, Corey's discussion is fun and certainly timely in its own way, but maybe a little less time sensitive uh, than the uh, conversation with Jeremiah. So uh, this discussion with Jeremiah is a bit long. Um, we had intended for it not to be this long, but it sort of kept going. So uh, there's a lot of interesting things that we talk about. It comes in around an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, but it's definitely a really fun discussion with some really great questions and discussions from Jeremiah. And again, his podcast is the Neoliberal Podcast put out by the Center for New Liberalism. Uh, and also, I'll put in a plug for Jeremiah's blog at infinitescroll.us. And again, stay tuned next week for the discussion with Cory Doctorow. But right now, here is me as a guest on the Neoliberal Podcast with Jeremiah Johnson. The world is increasingly technological. So we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Neoliberal Podcast, part of the Center for New Liberalism. I'm your host, Jeremiah Johnson, and joining me today is Mike Masnick. Mike, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So as we were chatting before the episode, I think the best way to phrase what's been happening with social media for the last two months is that it is the most significant two months that we've had in the social media business uh, in years and years, maybe in the last decade, I don't know. They're just with Twitter catching on fire and Elon seemingly running in, into the ground and threads launching and the entirely separate drama of Reddit and, and all of the controversy that's going on there. Can you remember a time that has had as much like significant social media action as the last two months? Uh, no, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it, it, I, I would say it's even crazier than that if you think about it, because like just not that long ago, uh, you know, the the consensus viewpoint 
was that, you know, the internet had stopped changing and that we had, you know, four or five giant companies that ruled the internet. And that was the end of history. You know, there was, there was never going to be. There was this long period of stability, right? Like, yeah. The, the, the last big thing I can think of was TikTok, the last big new entrant in the social media sphere was TikTok, but it's, it's been a hot minute and nothing has changed. Yeah. But and I mean, even the entrance of TikTok was, you know, people insisted that that was impossible, that, you know, that we needed, you know, uh, antitrust to take down Facebook because there was no possible way that it could ever be taken down otherwise. And, you know, and, and Twitter was never considered one of the really big ones because it wasn't that big, but it had sort of, you know, really locked in its position in terms of like, that was where news happened. Um, and, you know, there was talk of, of potentially, you know, other people would try stuff, but none of it ever went anywhere. And then just the, the whole, the whole world is, has become very, very different. And I think, you know, anything that people were predicting a year or two ago, just is, it, it's a, it's a completely different world uh, in terms of what what is the social media landscape look like uh, than it, than it did back then. So do we think this is a coincidence that all of this is happening at the same time because some of it is obviously linked like uh, Threads has launched because Twitter is weak because they sense weakness from Twitter and they think they can take over part of that market but in in terms of like Reddit for instance catching on fire I don't know what the link is between like this is the most the, the most controversy that's ever happened on Reddit, which is saying something. This is like the longest lasting episode they've ever had of their user base revolting. And it doesn't at first glance, it doesn't seem linked to Twitter at all because Twitter is also on fire. The only thing I can think of is that, you know, we're in a rising interest rate environment for the first time in the tech industry's history, practically. And maybe just every company is panicking and doing dumb things. <laughs> I mean, uh, do, do you think there's any link or do you think it's actually not just it's weird that they both happened in the last month? I mean, uh, there are a couple of things, I, you know, it, 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 some of this may be, you know, sort of I don't want to say conspiracy theory, theory thinking, but like seeing connections where there there aren't really connections. But but if, if we had to determine possible connections, it, it could certainly be, you know, the rising interest rate world changes a bunch of things. I mean, you know, we had a long period of time where there was really easy money for large Silicon Valley companies if they wanted it. And now, you know, the provenance of some of that money was potentially questionable. There was a, a certainly an awful lot of foreign money that was that was going into Silicon Valley that was, uh, you know, basically you could say people were trying to to cleanse money from 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 certain countries where it was uh, more problematic. Uh, and so a lot of that money went into Silicon Valley and that has become more difficult uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, one being rising interest rates and, and other issues, another being, uh, you know, sanctions on Russia, perhaps, where there there's a, a lot of Russian money that was going into Silicon Valley for a while. Um, maybe that's it. I, I think, you know, more likely, though, is that in, in some sense, the, you know, sort of, you know, implosion that is Twitter almost acted as a, a kind of smokescreen for other companies to start experimenting with stuff. 
uh, and hoping to, to effectively hide behind it. Um, you know, it, it was commented on a little bit, but not entirely, you know, the, and, and we could get into the specifics here where like, you know, Twitter's implementation of Twitter blue, which, uh, Elon incorrectly refers to Twitter verification, um, you know, the, this idea that you should pay for verification, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and Instagram implemented that, you know, soon after Elon did. They implemented it in a slightly smarter way, uh, but they sort of, you know, copied that aspect of it. And with Reddit, Steve Huffman, the CEO and founder of Reddit, you know, has said that he admires Elon Musk because he believes, which I think is a very distorted uh, view of what's actually happening, but he believes that, that Musk is, you know, you know, taking a, a property that was having trouble uh, monetizing and, and trying to whip it into shape. And so I think he sort of views his own moves at, at Reddit in a similar sort of fashion. You know, can, the, I, can the, I just comment how insane yeah. that is, by the way, that w- yes. one of my biggest theories about Reddit is that if they had done what they did, there's a whole story to tell about how they implemented the API change and everybody got mad at them. I think if they had just done it and then shut up and had yeah. no public statements, Steve Huffman does not do his publicity tour. There's no ask me anything. People would have been mad. There would have been some protesting and then they would have moved on. And, yeah. and you, but everything Huffman does, he opens his mouth and like says, yes. I, you know, you want to talk about misreading the room to give an yes. interview <laughs> that where he compares, I think he compared the moderators to landed gentry. Yes. And, and then says, actually, I think I admire Elon Musk. I think he's doing a great job. Like what an incredible misread of the room that just, yeah. you know, it, it, rather than die down, it made everything get 10 times worse. I don't know, but. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he's done that multiple times. I mean, you know, since the beginning of this, you know, Huffman has repeatedly done things that just, you know, make everybody even angrier at him. The hardest thing to do in PR is to just shut up. It's yeah. it's, it's the best move so often, but it's yes. impossible. Like everybody wants to be a poster. Every Even Elon Musk, <laughs> he yes. wants to post. He would rather post than have $44 billion. Yeah. And I know this. Because he set $44 billion on fire so he could post better. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's absolutely true. And that, you know, I mean, a, a lot of these guys, you know, sort of, you know, they, they've been convinced of the sort of great man theory uh, of themselves, that, that they are the great men of history and that they have a better view on these things than than everyone else. And they don't sort of recognize the fact that they're in something of a bubble and their view of their own sites may be distorted and may not be the view of the majority of, of the users of those sites. And, you know, I think both of them have made a, a pretty grand miscalculation. Um, and it's, you know, there is some element that's interesting to me, especially with, with both Twitter and Reddit, because, you know, part of the appeal of both of those sites was was this idea that, like, it was actually, in some sense, an unfiltered view of the world. And, and you know, for a long time, I kind of, I, I I kind of expected incorrectly, I think now in retrospect that, you know, one of the cool things about these kinds of internet properties was that it broke down, you know, there are all these stories about like, you know, uh, echo chambers and filter bubbles. And, and I think, 
you know, and there's there there's a bunch of evidence that suggests all of those are wrong. Um, but you know, I really thought that that Twitter and Reddit in particular were really good examples of of the opposite of that and in, in breaking that down. The fact that you know any random person could communicate directly with you know the the you know super famous wealthy powerful experts on this subject or that subject you know there are all sorts of clashes where like people think they know better than people who actually do but but you know there are lots of cases where it you know it looked like the kind of thing that would would pop bubbles and 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 what's interesting is this does not happen on other social media sites this is not a universal thing like on instagram you know there are no i'm not going to say this is this is to a first degree true it's it's not literally true to a first approximation but like there are no reply guys on instagram there are certain like cristiano ronaldo famous soccer player he posts on instagram and gets a, a jillion replies yeah but it's not a service that is built around the reply function the way that like Twitter is built around replies and quote tweets and conversation. Instagram is more a broadcast rather than a conversation. Yes. And, and same with Reddit too. I mean, Reddit is very much conversation driven. And so, you know, so it is kind of surprising to me because you would think if there were any platforms where the owners of those platforms or the, you know, the executives in charge of those platforms would have a better connection to the average user those two seem like, you know, pretty near the top of the list. And so there's this weird sort of surprising thing where, you know, it does feel like, you know, both of them, you know, certainly have some some level of reputation for sort of, you know, living in in sort of bubbleized thinking, you know, surrounding themselves with people who keep telling them how how right they are and how smart they are, which, you know, to a certain degree is probably unhealthy <laughs> for for having a good sense of your own uh, your own ability to read the room um and so you know I, I think we're seeing some element of that where you know the, these these two people even though they both run platforms that you know allow lots of people to speak with lots of different perspectives really sort of believe in their own vision of things to to the point that they're missing, you know, they're missing the reality of what is happening on their own platforms. And therefore they're making decisions that they think are brilliant and the right way to go. And the users of those platforms, you know, lots of them are basically saying you're completely wrong and this is driving me away. I have one additional theory and I actually just came up with this as we were speaking. So I have no idea if this is brilliant or maybe it's, <laughs> it's, it's crap, but you know, in, in that difference between conversational social media and broadcast social media, mm-hmm. I, I think it's an important distinction because, like you said, Reddit is – it's a link aggregator, but it's built – the real community and the growth and the magic of Reddit comes from the comment sections and the communities that are built around different subreddits. So it's very conversation-heavy. Twitter is obviously very conversation-heavy. And other things like YouTube is not really a social network. It's a broadcast platform. You can follow people on YouTube and they can follow you back, but that's not how YouTube works. And TikTok is like that as well. You know, you can follow people on TikTok, but it doesn't really matter that much. It's algorithmic. And Instagram is, is much more broadcast than it is conversation. And it strikes me, I've just described three profitable social media (laughs) companies because they are broadcast based. Whereas yes. conversation 
oriented, you know, public conversation oriented places like Reddit and Twitter, the thing that they have in common is that they both have struggled mightily to ever turn a profit. And Twitter has like kind of once or twice barely turned a profit. But for most of its history, Twitter has just hilariously lost money and Reddit has never made any money. Yeah. And like, I wonder if that's the other unifying factor why they're both on fire is that they're both just struggling to make money in a way that TikTok does not struggle to make money in a way that YouTube does not struggle to make money. I, I think there is something to that. I, I, the one thing I will push back slightly is like Twitter, Twitter was actually it, it was not super profitable. But, uh, you know, I had looked and, and pre Elon takeover, I, I forget the exact numbers, but I think it had been profitable in I think it was like 16 of the last 20 quarters. I think they they started during the pandemic, but it was falling off again. No, that's my impression. It was a little bit before that. Uh, They they started being profitable and it was always but it was always small profits. And they did have there was a few big losses uh, mixed in with that, though. Some of that was sort of paper losses. Um, You know, they were they sort of, you know, restated some things. Um, But, you know, it was it was. You could argue that Twitter was at least break even uh, and sort of trending in the right direction, um, you know, and, and certainly over the last few years was not, you know, like there are lots of companies that are just constantly losing money. And Twitter was not one of those. Um, but they were certainly not like super profitable and just printing money. And obviously, like Meta and TikTok uh, and YouTube are the opposite of that. Like they are printing money just consistently. Um, and And I think you're exactly right that, you know. They're all advertising model based and, you know, advertising, you know, you can look back for the last century and realize that the broadcast model is perfect for advertising. And, you know, those who have perfected the broadcast model have have always been able to make a tremendous amount of money on on advertising, whereas the conversational model and this was always sort of part of Twitter's problem was, you know, the advertising just doesn't feel as natural. Uh, you know, inserting it into a conversational model always felt awkward, a little spam like, a little bit intrusive. Um, you could also you could also say here text based versus image and and sure. video based. You know, which is sure. another way to kind of describe this distinction. And 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 I, I almost want to say like the way that newspaper advertising has been decimated. You know, in favor of like television and internet advertising. Like, you know, it, it's it's tough out there to, to run ads in a text based format. Yeah, though, it's it's interesting. I, I would want to think about that some more. I mean, you know, I think, you know, newspapers are, are like the, the sort of decline and fall of newspapers has been sort of an interesting, interesting area to watch. Um, and, you know, the newspapers are constantly blaming the Internet for their losses Um and to me, I, I always I think that the you know newspapers really completely lost their way and 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 just didn't recognize what business they were in, which is that you know traditionally the reason that newspapers were so successful was they were the only place effectively that brought together uh, a local community, and so if you wanted to reach that local community and you wanted to advertise to a local community, the newspapers were really your only option. So newspapers to me were always in the sort of community building business, though they didn't realize that. They always thought they were in the the news business. And so as soon as the internet came along, 
and communities could form around all sorts of things and not just your geographic location, the the real value of newspapers kind of faded away. And the, the newspapers were so focused on the belief that they were in the news business and it was the news that was valuable rather than the community they could bring together that they just, you know, all of the moves that they they made kind of went against that. Setting up a paywall, for example, you know, makes it harder to build a community, uh, makes it harder to be like the one place for sort of, you know, local, local folks to gather. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know how much of that is because it's like text versus video um, versus just kind of like what business they were really in and sort of why advertisers were interested in working with them. Um, but, it, but yeah, there, there's definitely interesting stuff to think about there. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it, some of the, like I said, we're theorizing at this point, yes. but let's let's get into specifics rather than theories because the specifics are interesting as hell. Um, so <laughs> I think where we should start in terms of like things have just gone crazy with these sites is what happened with Twitter about a week ago. Or when this goes out, it'll probably be two weeks ago. But there was a weekend when Twitter just broke. And and I want to say, I want to be very clear, because since Elon has taken over, the site's performance has suffered a little yes. bit. But but for the most part, Twitter has continued to run business as usual. And I've always thought that, like, as much as people are angry at Elon and a bunch of the cool kids went over to Blue Sky and Mastodon, like, as long as Twitter just remains func- a functional site, sure, it's going to survive. It's going to keep the vast majority of people because the, the network's already there. And so, I, you know, that that's how I've thought about it. And so they've had little problems, but for the most part, the site has still been fine until last weekend. Can, can you recap for people who are not as terminally online as, <laughs> as us, like what exactly happened? I mean, it, there was there were a bunch of things that all sort of happened together. And it, it's not even clear how, you know, what really happened? Yeah, there's you know, think, a couple of theories. We should go through the theories, but yeah, yeah. I, I think I think at some point in the future we'll probably find out a little bit more about what really went down. You know, the the first thing that happened was that I think basically late on a Thursday, um, people started reporting that you could no longer see tweets if you were not logged in, um, and so you know with Twitter. Uh, you know, if you're logged in, obviously you can reply to people and you can follow people and, and do various things on the site, but you could always see public tweets. It's, it's possible to set your account to private. My account is currently set p- to private, um, but public tweets you could you could see even if you weren't logged in and suddenly that went away and uh, which created some some difficulties. Um, you know, a lot of news stories have embedded tweets that were suddenly you, you couldn't see some of them. Um, and there were other issues. You know, if you link to to a tweet, people wouldn't be able to see it unless they had an account and were logged in. Um, and so, you know, it sort of broke some stuff that people had sort of traditionally relied on. Um, and there was no, as as is often the case with, with Elon's Twitter, there was no announcement. There was no explanation at the time. Uh, eventually, he explained again, as he is often known to do, he replies to someone and explains the new policy, which, you know, most people are never going to see. It wasn't even just like a, you know, an out and out statement that more people would see, but rather a reply to someone saying that, um, uh, that, 
they were being, you know, there was like massive data scraping or something along those lines. And so we had to close it off to, to protect the site, um, which raises a whole bunch of questions. Uh, I think we should be clear at the very beginning. I, at least to me, you can disagree. This is not a credible claim. Right. It is, yes. it is not a credible claim <laughs> that, that Twitter is all of a sudden out of nowhere being like swarmed by so many bots that it's affecting the site. Like data scraping exists, but it's been yes. a constant for years. Like this is something all sites yes. deal with constantly. There's no reason that it would have gotten a hundred times worse on a random Thursday for right. no reason. Right. The, the one thing I will say is that there there was probably an increase in scraping over the last few months, but that was due to Elon's own actions, which is the shutting down of the old API and putting ridiculously high fees on the API. And once you do that, the natural thing that some people who formerly relied on the API are going to do is that they're going to switch to scraping. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was an increase in scraping in general, but there's no way that it was, you know, some sort of, you know, like order of magnitude increase that would, you know, crash the site and and cause all, cause all sorts of problems. Though, again, you know, they have shut down one of their three data centers. So they, they already had sort of like trim the margin in terms of, you know, what they could handle. And so, you know, maybe there was something there, but there's nothing, there was nothing to indicate that, you know, this would be such a problem or such a concern that they would have to make that move. Um, but that, that was only the first move. Right? Then like on Saturday morning. Um, so like a day and a half after that first move, suddenly people started getting notifications saying like rate limit exceeded. Um, which is weird, right? Like you don't normally see that on any, on any website, let alone a social media website and especially a social media website with what's known as an infinite scroll. You know, the idea being you can keep, keep scrolling through Twitter and it never ends. <laughs> I, I just have to give a shout out, by the way, everyone follow my new blog, which is infinite scroll.us. Thank you for that. Mike. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and so, you know, a rate limit, you don't, you know, there there are like these sites all, all have rate limiting tools, but those are for situations where there is a scraper or a spider, as they're called, that have gone completely out of control. And so, you know, every once in a while you see that and you sort of designate an IP address and you say rate limit this IP address um, to stop it from, from, you know, using up too many resources. But the idea that everybody was hitting these rate limits and then again, eventually, you know, Elon tweeted out this thing saying that again, because of like crazy data scraping, uh, that, um, uh, you know, there were limits. So what he refers to again is verified, but he really means people paying $8 a month for Twitter blue or a thousand dollars a month for the like gold check Mark, um, that, that they could view, uh, what was it? 6,000 tweets, uh, no, six six hundred for no, 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 six, no, no six thousand for the the paying yeah, people. Six thousand for the paying, six hundred for registered users who weren't paying, and three hundred for new accounts. Which you know, the three hundred and the six hundred, even arguably the six thousand for like really online people, like you will burn through that really quickly. Um, now again, there are some questions about whether or not that was even actually accurate. Um, 
you know, there is a theory that that many people have and that might actually be true that, you know, basically their their rate limiter just went nuts and they broke something internally. And then this was his sort of retconned excuse uh, for that. And like later in the day, he he said they were they bumped up the limits to eight thousand eight hundred and four hundred, and then like an hour later, it became ten thousand one thousand and five hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I know, they haven't said anything else since then. And in theory, nobody's those gotten are still- the messages. Yeah, nobody's gotten the messages anymore. So yeah, I haven't heard of anyone getting rate limited. You know, I mean. You know, I'm, I'm for my part, for what it's worth, like it actually made me just, you know, I, I use Twitter much, much less. I mean, I was terminally on Twitter um, for many years um, and I, I, I definitely have cut back a lot. But honestly, as soon as that happened, I really cut back even more because, you know, I do still need to look at Twitter and use it occasionally for reporting and writing about stuff and seeing what people are tweeting. And I sort of realized, like, if I use up my allotment, uh, if that if there is an allotment and then I can't access the information that I need to access to write a story, that's a problem. So I'm now at the point where I'm only logging into Twitter if I need to find something specific and being like really careful about how much I'm looking at just in case those limits are in place, yeah. which, you know, is sort of, you know, put, put a somewhat of a final nail in the coffin in terms of how I how much I actually use the site. It's crazy because, like, I want to emphasize here that Twitter is an advertising based business. Yeah. And the level of insanity to tell users on an advertising based business you can't use the site anymore. You've used yeah. it too much and we want you to stop scrolling and stop viewing thing. It would be like if your t- if like NBC said, well, you've already watched two NBC shows today, so we're yes. not going to let you watch a third. Like this is the most insane business decision you can make. And so, yeah, like you said, a, a bunch of people have theories about what's happened here. And so we've kind of covered theory number one, which is Elon's stated theory that bots are killing the site. This is this is something he says a lot, by the way, that yes. bots are killing the site. I want to run by a couple other theories to you and sure. see what you think of them. Some people noticed that this happened, and I think almost exactly, it is weird. It started happening in the morning of July 1st, sometime around 9 a.m., uh, which is when Apparently, a contract with Google Cloud was set to expire, <laughs> and and there was a famous report that uh, that Twitter is not paying Google Cloud, right. and they're in a dispute with them. And so, some people immediately jumped to Google turned off their servers, and now Twitter is dead, and that's what's happening. Yeah, I don't think that one is true. I'm I'm pretty sure that's not because there was other reporting that said that Linda Yaccarino, who is the the new. CEO, perhaps CEO in name only, uh, of Twitter had worked out uh, a deal with Google to start paying that contract. And, you know, she was trying to set up a a larger overall agreement with Google in which they would advertise a lot more on the site and, and use some other services. And so my understanding 
was that the Google she, con- pa- she papered it over. She, she fixed papered the it over. Problem. So the, yeah. the Google now the other the other reason why it's almost certainly not the case that it was that was that they didn't u- they use Google Cloud, but that was more for internal stuff. They used it for analytics. Uh, they used it for some of their trust and safety tools. They used it uh, for for a bunch of internal tools. But but Twitter itself. You know the tweets are not hosted on Google Cloud, so the the Google Cloud relationship was was more indirect uh, than you know than than direct, yeah. and so it's that one seems really unlikely to me. Um, it's possible. The one thing the one thing I will say is yeah. that I do believe I think you're right, but I do believe also that Elon is trying to move things away from Google, yes. and that in in the process of making this switch. It's possible that some of those things were set to like migrate over yes. on July first, and they like broke something during the migration. It, it is entirely possible that there there are some sort of interdependencies, and and switching from this to that broke this or that, and 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 this is how it all sort of played out. There there was also separate from the Google Cloud, there was some issues with whether or not Twitter was paying AWS, which is doing some uh some larger hosting of of parts of Twitter, um, which is, and even that is a relatively new relationship. Uh, Twitter didn't use AWS for, for cloud services until I think it was like a year and a half ago. Um, so really not even that long ago. Um, and it's unclear if that bill got settled, but I know that there were complaints there. There were also issues with um, Oracle Cloud. That they, so, you know, Twitter sort of spread around some of its cloud service usage. Um, and it is unclear which bills they were actually paying and which they weren't. So it's possible that there was something and someone turned off something or someone switched something and that resulted in, in problems. Um, you know, I, I, I think the Google Cloud example in particular doesn't appear doesn't appear to be accurate unless there's some sort of indirect path by which it happened. I, I think I agree. I, I do think it's a very funny coincidence that yes. it happened about 9 a.m. On, yes. on July 1st. Um, but but I, I think I agree. And and so I'll, I'll throw theory number three at you. If, okay. if Elon's bots is number one, Google Cloud is number two. Theory number three, and I think this was first discovered by a user on uh, Blue Sky or Mastodon. I forget which one. Yeah. But somebody noticed that when you, you click on a tweet but you're not logged in, something weird was happening <laughs> because you wouldn't be – you obviously couldn't see the tweet. They turned that off. And this is like Thursday. They turn off the ability to see tweets when you're not logged in. But the Twitter website appeared to keep asking. Yes. Like it kept asking to see the tweet. And they they pulled up – I'm not a coder. I don't know exactly what they did. But they pulled up some log that, that apparently shows like 10, 10 times a second or 100 times a second – Twitter was just continually asking. Twitter's website itself was saying, let me see the tweet. No, let me see the tweet. No, let me see the tweet. No. And that basically they were botting themselves yeah. in a sense. Yeah. And, and and that was definitely happening. So they were DDoSing themselves is, is generally the term where, you know. And so for, for people who don't know what DDoS is. Yeah, it's you know, it's basically when you when you send a whole bunch of bot traffic to a single website to take it down. It's basically flooding the website, you know, through automated means with way more traffic than it is designed to handle and it'll take down websites. Um and so yeah, there was very strong evidence it was reproduced by multiple people that this was happening that 
that Twitter had effectively DDoSed itself, sort of, you know, uh, sent an attack uh, against itself. And that might have had that, you know, that w- could certainly hurt, uh, could certainly take down a website and, and could be a problem. Uh, you know, I talked to some security folks who looked at it and said, like, yeah, it's definitely happening. But they didn't think that it would actually take down the website because they actually said that Twitter had set up some processes to effectively uh, sort of, you know, kill those requests uh, and sort of, you know, basically route all those requests to trash is, is it's not the exact thing that was happening, but sort of the effective equivalent of it, that the site was set up to, to sort of ignore those kinds of requests. So even though there were like tons of them coming in, it was able to, you know, sort of, you know, not be really negatively impacted by it. But there might be something in there, you know, anytime you're doing something like that, that might, you know, create a, 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 you know, kick off a process that kicks off another process that may have resulted in some of the problems. So I wouldn't say that that's not the case, but it, you know, there was the story that people just said, oh, they DDoS themselves. And that's why the rate limits went up. It's not clear if that's exactly true either, even though, you know, the, the factual claim that they sort of very stupidly set things up so that they were they were sending themselves a lot more requests than than they should that definitely did happen but it looked like they were set up to not you know get knocked over by by their own stupidity there interesting it's it's a new wrinkle there with the uh the, what you've heard from the security researchers i had, i did not know that yet i i knew the most of the claims but yeah it it does lead me interestingly into theory number 4 and I'm going to plug my blog one more time, by the way, which I can do because this is my podcast. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm cribbing off a blog post I wrote. You guys should go. I'll check it out. I'll put it in the show notes. It's called Four Theories of What the Hell Happened at Twitter. But theory number four, I think, is something I would put in combination with theory number three. It's not an either or kind of thing. Theory number four for me is just that Elon is John Hammond in Jurassic Park. <laughs> If, if anybody likes Jurassic Park, if you've watched the movie, it is basically a tale of somebody, a billionaire with a lot of hubris who wants to get into a line of business that he doesn't understand. What does that sound like? That sounds like Elon, but it's also the tale of the guy in Jurassic Park. And he pushes and he pushes and he demands to develop new things and he doesn't really understand the risks. And one of the things, if you actually read the book of Jurassic Park – they talk a lot about chaos theory. This is the, why the Ian Malcolm character exists. He talks, you know, chaos theory, you can never predict anything, blah, blah, blah. But the point in kind of a generalized way is that really complex systems are chaotic and you can't predict exactly what's going to go wrong. You can't predict, you know, exactly this specific failure will happen and we have to guard against that. Rather, you kind of just need a general sense of like ability to respond to failure. You, you need a buffer zone. Because things will fail in ways you don't expect. And in Jurassic Park, of course, famously, he cut costs and he only has one IT guy. And so when the IT guy screws them over, they have no ability and all the dinosaurs get out and eat people. (laughs) And, you know, where else have we seen a billionaire that takes over a business that they don't really understand, that fires a bunch of people and tries to run the whole business with like a skeleton crew of engineers? And then when something breaks, they have no ability to fix it. Because all the people who would have known that are gone now. That's that's theory number four is just that this is a Jurassic Park situation, that something that should have been fixable isn't because they fired all the people and they're changing too many things at once and they don't understand what they're doing. 
And so, of course, you know, whether it was this or it was something else, something was going to catastrophically break at some point. It was inevitable. This is my personal theory, and I'm very proud of it. So I'm very curious what you think of it as a as a unbiased kind of a observer. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely something to that. You know, you know, from early on, uh, you know, one of the things that people were pointing out is that like Twitter is a very very complex site. I know, like some people look at it and like you know, it can't it can't be that complex. It's just a bunch of text, you know, on, on a page. But it's actually it's an extremely complex system because you got to figure out, you know who is subscribed to who and, and, and uh, like, you know, which tweets to show them. And there, there's a lot of underlying technology there. And it's also built up a tremendous amount of technical debt over many, many years and, and complicated systems to make this work. And, you know, one of the things that, that people told me early on when Elon took over was that there really were, you know, a few people at Twitter that they refer to as load-bearing employees, you know, that that they really understood the systems. And there were lots of people who did not really understand how the different systems interacted with each other. And we've seen many examples of that in terms of like other things that have broken along the way where, you know, they pull the plug on this or they, they you know, tinker with, with this algorithm or something and something breaks because they don't understand how all of these things play together. Um, and so I think there's, there is, there is some reality to that. I mean, I think when, when people talked about that early on, they assumed that the entire site was going to crash and die very quickly. But that never seemed to be all that realistic. And you had said earlier, you know, you sort of figured, you know, Twitter would would just kind of, you know, as long as they can keep the site up, it, it would continue to go. Um, and, you know, Twitter spent a lot of time and a lot of it brought in a ton of engineering knowledge over the years to make the site, you know, sustainable in, in a way that it would be very difficult to take it down. I, and, and they I, struggled with this, right? Like, oh, yeah. there's a reason the the fail whale is a, yes. is a funny term that everybody knows on Twitter because it's the image that you saw when Twitter failed. And throughout the years, you know, not in the last couple of years, but in, in early to mid Twitter, the fail whale showed up all the time. Yeah. And then they really invested in, in resiliency and they brought in some really, really top notch engineers to construct a system that was very difficult to take down. And and to some extent, we're seeing like that resiliency is is part of what I think is holding up the site now. But the system itself is incredibly complex. And, and in some sense, it's like those engineers from like, you know, eight to 10 years ago, their work is in some ways maybe fighting against the work of the current engineers uh, and, and keeping the site up, but they're occasionally bumping, uh, bumping up against the edges and uh, discovering problems that when they mm-hmm. change this or change that. So I think, I, I think that theory could very well be that, you know, as there, there's just as, no margin for error anymore yeah. that whether it's staffing or whether it's the number of servers or whether it's, you know, trying to do too many things at once, you know, there's just no margin for error and and things can go wrong very, very quickly now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely the case. So that brings us to threads because <laughs> I think and I think what has been I think there's been some reporting on this, but common sense tells us threads has basically launched and it's got more than 100 million people now. And I from what I've read, threads was not supposed to launch. It is not yeah. supposed to have launched yet, 
But Mark Zuckerberg himself literally just made the call that like Twitter is in such chaos. We need to move up the launch like we have to launch in a week. And yes. about a week after the craziness at Twitter happened or, or a few days, I don't know the exact timeline, but it's call it roughly a week They Instagram and Mark Zuckerberg and Meta launched a Twitter competitor. Do you do you know any further reporting on that in terms of like wh- how exactly that happened or like what's your impression of what the story is of of why Threads is launching now? Is it just that simple? Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, I think I think the planned launch was supposed to be the end of July uh and and they moved it up by a few weeks you know th- basically they had been testing it internally with a planned launch for end of July or beginning of August um and they just realized they saw the chaos so you know as we said the chaos sort of started the the Thursday uh before July 4th um and threads launched on the the following Thursday or or late Wednesday depending on how you look at it um, and so it was basically a week after the chaos that Twitter started. So somewhere over that weekend, um, whether it was Mark or or Adam Masseri who, who runs Instagram, you know, sort of looked at everything that was going on and realized, like, you know, what we're testing internally, um, you know, is a minimum viable product. It sort of works, and we can roll it out. And they they know, unlike most people in that situation, um, of any company out there, like. They know how to build infrastructure that can withstand 100, 100 million users uh, floating and, and the site just, right away. Can we stop for one second? And I know you're going to agree with me here and, and just mention how insanely impressive it is that they have scaled up with basically almost no technical failure. And like it's it's a very simple site. It doesn't even have DMs yet. Yeah. But they have scaled to 100 million users in a week with basically no tech failures like blue sky still doesn't have a third of a million and yeah. they br- and they broke during um during when twitter was going through the outage blue sky also broke because so many people were trying to flood blue sky's website and we're talking about like three orders of magnitude more than that it's yeah. insane yeah yeah no i mean you know scaling to 100 million people is is actually an incredibly difficult and and challenging problem but like again Meta has the engineers who know how to do that. So they they could easily be ready. I, I have seen I've actually seen a fair number of errors on it. I wouldn't say that it was a, a perfect rollout. Um, I, I've you know, and I'm not even using it that much, but I, I've come across a, a bunch of times where it's like we can't load uh, we can't load threads right now. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not perfect, but but yeah, it's definitely way better than almost anyone else, you know. Lots of sites will fall over when you just get a, a few hundred thousand users. Um, so to be able to, you know, scale to millions, uh, you know, within hours uh, of it launching, it, it's it's a really impressive thing. But again, like the kind of thing that you would expect, you know, Meta could do and Meta was clearly prepared for that. And so I'm sure that went into the calculation of launching early was, you know, we don't have all the features we want. And there's a couple of things that'd be really nice to have and we really should have at launch. But given the trade-offs, we know we can scale it. We know that it works as a basic, you know, with basic functionality. So let's just get it out there. And and my guess is that's that's basically the way it went. I'm curious what your impression of Threads has been. And I guess I'll ask this this in two ways. 
first, just in terms of content, because there's a lot of people posting on threads. You know, it's not 100 million people all posting at once, no. but there are legitimately millions of people minimum posting there, and probably tens of millions of people actively posting. And so in terms of content, I'm curious what your thoughts are there. And I'm also curious just in terms of the question about is this going to be the the thing that finally kills Twitter? Is this the Twitter replacement? You know, number one, does it even make sense to talk about what will replace Twitter? Is that the right question or the right way to phrase that? And number two, if that is the right question or if there's a, something like that we should be asking, is it going to be obviously threads given how fast they've they've grown? Does it make sense that they are in prime position? Yeah, I mean – you know, I'm I'm not I'm not necessarily one to predict the future, you know, because that's come on. That's what that's what podcasts are meant for, man. Hot, and also this is like the 47th minute of a podcast. Yeah, you know, like yeah. the, only the hardcore people are still listening now. So you gotta you gotta reward them with some hot takes, man. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's it's bad news for Twitter. Um, mainly mainly because the advertisers, right? I mean. There are all sorts of stories of like advertisers are just absolutely thrilled with threads. Um, and, you know, a whole bunch of advertisers that had spent on Twitter and, and you know, even like advertisers had always complained that like the returns for advertising on Twitter weren't great, but often they felt they sort of needed to be there. Um, so I think advertisers are just really excited about the idea of like, you know, threads being Twitter, but run by slightly more sane people um, and where there's a lot less brand risk. You know, the, the, you know, the one thing that Elon did was really introduce tremendous brand risk for any advertiser on Twitter. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, I, I think it's going to be really, really damaging for Twitter's ad business, which had already been really, really, you know, hurt badly by everything that Elon has done. And, you know, the, the reports that it was cut back, Somewhere between 40 and 60, possibly there were reports of 70% of advertising revenue disappearing from Twitter. Um, and, you know, he brought on Linda Yaccarino to sort of, because she's an advertising exec, to bring back those advertisers. But if those advertisers are looking at, do we want to advertise on Twitter where there's a tremendous amount of brand risk and threads where, you know, at least it seems like they're doing a better job. It's it becomes an easy call, and most of them already have strong relationships with with Meta for both Instagram and Facebook, and so it just becomes an easy call. So on the advertising side, on the business side, I think it's really really damaging for Twitter. On the user side, we'll have to see. Um, you know, it's funny because I, I hear such conflicting reports and just talking to people, and there are some people I know who love threads like they're immediately like threads is it threads is exactly what i've been looking for it is my twitter replacement uh you know the fact that it brought in all of these people already that it had you know a bunch of famous people at the beginning um you know i've heard from from a few people and and, and the, i i had this discussion with someone there was a question of like is it is it generational i i heard from from millennials for the most part, seem to really, really like threads. Uh, I don't know what that says. I don't know if it's a, if, if, you know, I, I don't have a, a larger survey of, of the generational interest in these platforms, but a, a very, very small sample size survey, you know, millennials that I talk to seem to really, really like threads. 
other people were a lot more skeptical. I've seen a lot of people talking about how like threads feels sort of like a plastic copy. Threads know? is cringe is what I've seen. It's yeah. cringe. It's lame. You know, when people moved to blue sky, they talked about how there's like this insane, crazy level of posting on blue sky. All the posting it's like, like weird Twitter migrated yeah. there. And whereas threads is like the, the theory I have here is that, you know, Number one, the algorithm is not up and running because you've only been on threads for a few hours, right? right? Or a few days. And so the algorithm doesn't know what to show you. And so it's just showing you giant big accounts that you don't care about. And that seems lame. And then also that all the people who are big accounts who you're getting algorithmically so far are Instagram big accounts. Right. And the way that you post on Instagram is like very, very different than Twitter. Like yes. people will screenshot something from threads that's like, how's the weather where you are? A thousand replies or, you know, like like it's just very like it seems very cringe to compare like what an Instagram caption normally is to like what's witty on Twitter. Um, and yeah. I wonder if it's just like the difference between like what have I heard before that um, I've heard something that like. Twitter is where all the ugly but witty people go and Instagram <laughs> is for beautiful idiots. Right, and like, right. I don't know if that's true, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're definitely like, they're definitely very different platforms with very different styles. And so it was sort of interesting to see like the Instagram people, you know, like try and move over and, and exist in, in that world. And so, yeah, there's some, some weird awkwardness, you know, uh, there's a guy, Jason uh, Gilbert, who who wrote this very very funny post on Substack, um, where he you know made all of these comparisons of like what Threads was like, and and the the best one was basically like when your favorite restaurant opens, uh, you know, uh, opens a uh, you know a, a version of it at the airport. It's like the airport version of your favorite restaurant. You know, it's not it's not really the same thing. It's you know. <laughs> nominally the same thing and it's yeah it's got the same things on the menu but it's not as many and it's not quite the same and it's more expensive and it's not really as nice and it doesn't have the atmosphere and all of that kind of and it's like yeah that's that kind of feels like threads and like I, I don't know I mean again like I don't want to generalize from just like you know just a few people's experience like my experience on threads is like yeah there's a lot of people there there's a there's a weirdness to it um, where like I found people, at least in my experience on threads, like people are really aggressive in a, in a very strange way. Like, you know, I've posted some stuff on threads and like people are coming in hot. <laughs> like I can't, I can't quite describe it. That's so interesting. Cause I've, I've had the exact opposite. Okay. And, 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 and I don't know that one of us is right or wrong, but yeah. I've seen like everybody on threads is all about, like good vibes. We're at the new place. Like, yay party. But like, like your very like forty year old wine mom kind of party, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's all just like woo, like woo, kind of like. Well, that, and and that's what I'm seeing. But I, I mean, I believe what you're saying too. I just yeah. I don't know how to reconcile that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know that the sort of like new place party woo, like that shows up with every one of these. Like you know, when everybody went to Mastodon in November of last year. There was that vibe when everybody was on Blue Sky in April. There was that vibe. You know, that's just like new place, new new vibes. <laughs> like, I mean, but like the Blue Sky style of posting, like I'm going to I'm going to let me reference something right here because yeah. um, I did this in one again, one of my posts on the blog. Go check out Infinite Scroll. Um, but when it was like, uh, why is uh, hold on, where is this? 
why is threads cringe? I had a post called why is threads cringe? Uh-huh. And like, I, I posted some stuff that was like taken down. Like this was removed from threads. And like some of the posts were like the first person that posts the mozzarella stick meme on here, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> and they, they were like, we are removing you. That is not appropriate for threads. And on, on like blue sky, that would have killed. Right. Or like there was another one where Arby's did a post on threads. And one of the top replies was, I love doing hard drugs in the Arby's bathroom. <laughs> and, you know, threads removed it. Whereas, you know, right. if Arby's had tried to go to to blue sky or Twitter and do that, that. That would have got that would have gone viral on Twitter doing hard drugs in the Arby's yeah. bathroom. And like I part of it is I I can't get over like the difference of like the moderations where Instagram has always been very heavily moderated. You can't yeah. there's no nudity on Instagram. It's like you said, it's very brand safe. And that's the feeling that I've got is like a little a sanitized brand safe kind of place. Yeah, I, I mean, they're definitely still working out the kinks on that. And like there have been there definitely been some challenges and and people have pointed out things on threads and like um that that they expected would be moderated that there there has been you know some things that people would categorize as hate speech and and attacks um that that threads refused to moderate in some cases there were some where they did moderate it at first and then put it back up and you know so i i don't think that like i mean again like my whole thing is like moderating at scale is impossible to do well. So I'm not saying like they're doing it wrong, but, but, you know, I don't know how, how squeaky clean threads will actually turn out to be. Um, has but, has yeah. Instagram managed to achieve some version of that? Cause, cause they're known for strict moderation. Like you can't show yeah. a nip on, on yeah. Instagram without the police coming down on you, but. Well, in- Instagram has a slightly different challenge in that. Right. So, you know, uh, because there's very little, it's it's mostly images and much less text, and there are no links. Um, and so, like the Instagram moderation challenges are different. And so, you know, computer vision AI stuff has gotten much much better uh, in the last few years. And so, they make tremendous use of that. That applies a little bit differently to purely text based uh conversations where there's a lot more nuance in terms of what is hate speech what is an attack uh you know what is harassment um that is a different kind of question than what is a nipple you know <laughs> um and and so what a philosophical question what is a nipple <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> i mean it's actually more philosophical than you give it credit for because i remember some artist at some point like took a picture of of a, a woman without her shirt on and then digitally removed yes. her nipple and put in a male nipple in its yes. place and was like, is this acceptable? Because men can be shirtless. Yes. And then Instagram was like, no, we're not playing your game. Like this is still banned. Like I yeah. don't care about your philosophical point, but like. <laughs> oh, yeah. There, there's there are, there are huge story. There have been huge stories written. There have been podcasts entirely about like Facebook's ongoing battle about nipples right like there's you know you can go so deep in terms of like the different challenges and every rule that facebook would create somebody would find the exception and sort of push the boundaries and facebook would have to determine like well you know how do we deal with with that particular situation and so you know know it's funny that brings me all the way back around to reddit where you know the reddit moderators right now are engaged in what i call rules lawyering trying to you know like work within but but anyway but but yeah no your your larger point about about 
content moderation, it's it's extremely difficult at scale. Nearing impossible is is definitely correct, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how Threads uh, continues to evolve on that front. But again, like, you know, I wrote something when Threads launched and I mentioned like, you know, Meta has the infrastructure to host, you know, hundreds of millions of people without a problem, which nobody else or very few others would have, but they also have the largest trust and safety content moderation infrastructure out there. Uh, and people got mad at me because they're, you know, they point to all of all of the failings of Facebook and Instagram in some of their moderation stuff. And there are plenty of stories of failings, but like, you know, I stand by that claim. Like they have the, the biggest, you know, and honestly the most competent uh, trust and safety setup of anyone out there just because they're so large and because they've invested so heavily in it, it doesn't mean that they're good at it because it's, again, to me, it's impossible to be good at it. And there's lots of mistakes that they're going to make. And, and as they're figuring this out and as they're figuring out what they actually want threads to be, I'm not even sure that they know that yet. Um, you know, they're going to, they're going to be stories of terrible decisions that they make because that's, that's just the nature of this. Um, but you know, Again, they have the infrastructure. The The biggest problem that most sites that like go viral uh, have is that they don't have the infrastructure in place. This was the problem that Blue Sky had at obviously, you know, orders of magnitude smaller scale that they started running into content moderation problems early on just because they didn't they didn't have the infrastructure in place. And and it's difficult when you're focused on just like we just need users and we're just sort of we're still beta testing this. To then say we also need a full and complete, you know, uh, trust and safety infrastructure in place. But again, Meta has that, and they're they know how to scale that. One of the interesting things I think about when I think about is Threads going to be the the Twitter replacement? As much as that even makes sense to think about a single replacement, maybe it doesn't. But I think about the fact that you know Meta has done this before. This is not their first rodeo. Yeah. Taking on another social network, I think about like Snapchat becoming a big thing, and then Instagram releases uh, stories that basically yeah. copies Snapchat stories, and it doesn't kill Snapchat, but it does kind of kill their growth. Like yeah. Snapchat, basically, I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure they like leveled off as people like stopped having a reason. Like I don't need to go there anymore. I can just do this on Instagram. And you could tell a similar story kind of about TikTok, that TikTok had explosive growth and they were different because they were algorithmic. It wasn't about who you followed. It was just the algorithm. And it took them a while to get around to this. But, you know, Instagram introduced their version of this and Facebook has, has done something similar. And, you know, you could even throw YouTube in there. But like TikTok's growth has leveled off. And, you know, it, Facebook is honestly very good at this like we're going to copy some of your features and reduce kind of release our version of this and maybe it doesn't kill you but it definitely hurts you and you know in in Elon's case he might not need someone else to kill the site he might be able to do it himself but yeah like i met you know if it was any other company i don't know but like meta and facebook and instagram they know the playbook of how to successfully copy a product yeah yeah and that's definitely a really interesting thing though though it is notable that while Threads is using the Instagram user ID setup and, and social graph, they did launch it as a separate product. And the other examples you gave were all launched within, you know, 
reels and stories were launched within Instagram um, and, and definitely did sort of copy the features and sort of try and say like, you know, if, if you like these things, you could just get the same feelings within Instagram, whereas threads is a separate app. And, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that works. It also, of it, course, it's interesting how they've, how they've done that because you're right. It's separate, but it's very like, it feels like it's a co Instagram, like they're yeah. branding it a little bit like Instagram. Oh and, yeah. And I think it's a smart decision because Facebook is has a terrible reputation, but Instagram among yeah. the Zoomers and the the millennials still has mostly pretty positive. You know, yeah, yeah, I think that's true, and it's it's using the same colors as Instagram, so there's definitely a, a connection there. And even like the app, when 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 the day that they launched, and I was looking for it, uh, I looked, uh, I, I you know, I was just following like Meta, all of Meta's apps to see when I could see Threads. And they didn't put it up under Meta. They put it up under Instagram, even though like Instagram itself shows up as a Meta product. But the the company name on it was Instagram rather than Meta. I was like, what is going on here? Um, but um, yeah, it's interesting, you know. But it, it has also there. I've seen a lot of people raise the question of like whether or not there's going to be an antitrust issue here um, if we're going into like the policy side of things. But like. Um, you know, because they're leveraging their massive two billion, you know, users on Instagram to effectively create this thing that you know is designed to to copy and effectively kill Twitter. Now, again, like I think Twitter is in self destruct mode, but there is a question of whether or not this this might be seen as violating antitrust law as well. Sort of leveraging their dominance in one position to to take on another company. So I have two theories here, and I'd love to hear you respond to them. The first is that that's not going to happen for red tribe, blue tribe reasons, because the people in the blue tribe who are typically very antitrust happy are going to be happy to see Elon fail and someone else take his. But even though they don't love Mark Zuckerberg at this point, watching Elon fail is like the team <laughs> sport for for tribe blue. Um, so that's theory number one. Theory number two is that. I wonder if how they're planning to implement the Fediverse, which is a terrible yeah. word, but the federated universe of interoperable uh, social networks that you can plug into each other. I wonder if that protects them from antitrust claims in some sense, if they can just say, you know, they work this out over the next year and they become part of the Fediverse. Well, you can just export your followers to wherever, you know, you can leave whatever yeah. you want. I wonder if that is a shield. Um. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, it should be. There's there is a question of whether or not they will really implement the Fediverse side of it. Um, you know, I was kind of excited about that. I I know like people have very very strong opinions in all different directions on it. Um, I thought it was good that they're you know the the plan is they said to to uh, interoperate with Activity Pub, uh, so that you can you know, view threads or talk to people on threads without being on threads, without giving uh, meta any information about yourself, because in theory you could be using another a Mastodon instance or, or another compatible uh, server and communicate that way. If they implement that, I think they would, that would be a good argument. I think they also have the argument of, look, you know, Twitter was self-destructing. There have been a, t a bunch of attempts to to build replacements and none of them succeeded. Uh, and we just built a better product uh, that people really want. 
And, you know, the, it's not that we're abusing our position. We're just providing the people what they want. Um, and so that might work. I, you know, we'll have to see. I've been hearing more and more people insist that they don't think that that Meta is actually ever going to join the Fediverse with threads. Um, you know, they've been they, they claim they were they've been pretty. They've said it's important to them. Uh, you know, we'll watch and see. Uh, what what actually happens there, and then you know what does that mean on a policy on the policy side of things will be really interesting to see as well. Yeah, and and to be fair, I, I think it is likely that somebody could try something because just cynically, the, the you know the new revived antitrust movement is basically, to, to, I mean, to my eyes, is not any more sophisticated than just big is bad. Yeah, you know, so sometimes that accidentally lands them in the right yes. position, but yes. sometimes they're just. They just say big is bad for no reason other than big. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I think that that has been a bit uh, a big problem of, of the, the modern antitrust movement. The the well, however you want that to and the at. focus on tech, because there are yeah. so many industries. This is the thing that drives me crazy is that, yes, like go break up the hospital chains that yes. that dominate everything that break up the telecoms if you yes. want to focus on. T- but like big social media companies and like Google, like the, the proposals to break up Google into a bunch of companies are. Just very unserious when dealing with reality. I yeah, I, I I completely agree. I mean, I think that there there are so many other huge obvious targets for if you want to do like real antitrust, you can find like huge problematic situations. Whereas you know the social media market, as we've seen, is like a lot more dynamic than people expected, and a lot will change over time. And I'm not sure that we need an antitrust movement to to do that. And I think there there you know if you're concerned about the the size and the power of a meta there are other tools in the toolbox that that would make a lot more sense going into trust but that doesn't mean that that someone won't bring it i i feel like it's probably going to happen um but you know we'll see how effective it is that this particular ftc now has a track record of losing a bunch of their their antitrust cases so uh we'll see how it goes all right, so we've got a little bit over time, but you know, just bonus listening for anybody who's here. I'm going to close with our traditional final question, which is where can people go to learn more if they're interested in what we've been talking about? I will start by recommending Tech Dirt. Obviously, you should go to Tech Dirt. You should read everything Mike Masnick has to say on these subjects. <laughs> it will make you smarter. You will be more informed. You should also subscribe to Infinite Scroll. Uh, you can do that at infinitescroll.us. But other than our two websites, Mike, what would you recommend in terms of are there particular things that you think um, are just really insightful when uh, talking about all the things we've been talking about today? I mean, there there, there are a, a bunch of other places that I think are really good. There, there are, you know, some reporters who are excellent. I think um, in terms of reporters who have done really good coverage on all of this, The Verge um, has really good, excellent reporting, I think. Um, there's a site called Platformer News, which is just two reporters um, who are fantastic and sort of deeply, deeply connected on this. Um, and, you know, so if, if you want to follow sort of like the news angles of what's going on, I think those two sources are, um, you know, really, really thorough. And I, I learn a lot from from both of those. And then, you know, just 
paying attention on on social media uh you know i i don't know where though because we're still figuring out where all this is gonna gonna fall you know and i'm i'm playing around where can people follow you on the news sites because your your twitter is uh just m masnick or yeah but my my is it the same handle on on threads and blue sky and mastodon and everywhere else yeah i'm i'm i use m masnick pretty much uh everywhere on social media i don't use twitter very much at all anymore and my account is protected so there's there's generally and and the the interface if you're protected and people want to follow you is ridiculous and it's almost impossible for me to figure out how to let people follow me so don't try and follow me on twitter right now uh if you're on blue sky i am probably using that the most that's the one that i feel the most comfortable using currently um, but i am still using mastodon i'm experimenting with threads you know, I'm I'm playing around with all of these things. Uh, I've been we didn't even mention it, but I've been playing around with Noster as well. I'm not even going to get into what that is. <laughs> I've been posting on Roblox. That's where I go. am. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, right now we're in this sort of upheaval. So, you know, keep keep paying attention and searching around like you, you don't have to commit to, to anything right now. You know, once things settle down, I think people will figure out where they want to be. Well, it'll be really interesting to see. I, I think in a month's time, the picture will look even more different than it does right now. Yeah. Um, Mike Masnick, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun to, to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah.